Well, good morning. How's everyone doing? Good. If you don't know who I am, my name is uh, Joe. I'm one of the pastors here. And today we're going to be talking about and kind of looking through this nativity scene, this gospel story that we find in Matthew uh, from a little bit of a bigger picture uh, perspective uh, rather than looking in it from a uh, zeroed in perspective. And on the docket today, what I want to talk about is a forgotten figure in the nativity scene. And we're going to, excuse me, what we're going to see is that God gives us a picture of trust in the bigger story of redemption that has the ability, I believe, and my prayer for you and for me today is the ability to make, to help shape how we make decisions. Now, I I think there are a lot of people who simply lack the resolve to genuinely follow Jesus. They'd like to, but to really go all in requires a motivation beyond what they have. And I think I've been surrounded by these kinds of people most of my life. They follow Jesus when it's easy, when they're a part of a group of friends or a crowd who they're all doing it with, when it fits naturally within their lifestyle or calendar, but they lack the nerve to do it when it's hard. But to stand alone, to swim upstream, to keep going when there's nobody standing behind them going, come on. And that's when the putter out, they putter out and they fall out. Some of you are considering that the life, that the good life, that this is the good life. When in reality, you lack the willingness to sacrifice your energy, time, and resources. And I say this because so many followers of Jesus that I've talked to over the years today say, oh, if the gospel story isn't true, at least I live the good life. But Paul never said that. What did Paul say? In 1 Corinthians 15, 9, Paul said, If in Christ we have in this, the, the hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. In other words, translation, if this story wasn't true, then this life of sacrifice and denying of self that you and I are called to as apprentices of Jesus and all the difficulties that come with it, we are the craziest people in all of history. And so the question for us today is, as we're faced with today, is do I really believe, do you really believe that God can take your difficult circumstances and decisions that you're facing either right now or will face in the future and actually use those and do something with them? Can God, and here's a question I have asked myself on a regular basis, uh, and maybe this just shows my lack of faith and, and building a faith, but a question I ask regularly is, can God really be trusted with my unseen future? Have you guys ever asked that before? And some of you right now are in the middle of a season where you're face to face with that choice. of Trusting in the story that God has unraveled in history or trusting something else. And here's what I hope 
we all walk away with today. Here's kind of the big idea, is that the story that you and I believe about God will always determine how we wait and the path we take. That the story that you and I believe about God will always determine how we wait and the path we take. The decisions that we are faced with today or in the future and the choices we make are tied to what we really believe about the story of God. And that's what we're going to see here in the forgotten figure of the nativity scene named Joseph. And what we see in his life is a man who had to make that decision with an unseen future and all the consequences of that decision to really believe that the story of God, the story that God is presenting and unraveling and writing in all of history is actually true and is going to happen. And the short story of Joseph in Matthew's gospel is a picture of someone put in a position where, we, where he needed to make the choice between a quick fix or an all-in choice that would cost him up front. But in the long run, trusting that God would be faithful to his promises that he made centuries before to Joseph's relative, King David. Is there anyone here today that uh, hates waiting? Anyone? Yeah? Me too. I hate it. I always have. I ruin surprises. Last year, we were doing a surprise trip for my kids. Within three weeks, I ruined that surprise trip. I hate it. Um, I remember um, growing up, uh, we, um, my sister and I would, um, you know, like, if you're a parent, you hide your gifts, right? Usually, if you have an attic, you hide them in the attic, right? And so what my sister and I would do, because I hate waiting, is we knew uh, that my parents would probably get the Xbox, and this was the original Xbox to you younger ones out there, um, games from Blockbuster. Anyone? Blockbuster? I love it. Yes. Um, and so they weren't wrapped. And so I would go up. Don't judge me now, okay? I would go up when they weren't at home. I'd go up in their attic, grab the game, go play it until I knew they'd get home. I'd put it back and then put it in the attic, back in the attic. Never knew. I actually didn't know until I told them uh, in my like, early 20s. Um, I hate waiting. So all that to say, I'm not good at waiting. But the term Advent means coming or arriving. The story of redemption is in of itself a story of waiting. And one of the common themes that we see throughout all of Scripture and everyone that we encounter in all of Scripture is at some level forced to wait. Abraham has to wait on his son. Noah is to wait on a storm and build a boat and have everyone think he's absolutely gone out of his mind. Israel has to wait for redemption in the promised land. Joseph would have been the first character in the Gospels in the New Testament era of the Bible um, with whom its first hearers in Matthew's community would actually resonate. This is a guy who gets it. He has to wait just like we have always had to wait. 
And think about it. What the announcement of the angel meant to Joseph and Mary. Mary is pregnant. And Joseph knows he's not the father. Look at verse 18. It says that the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, probably like you and me, if you're a guy here, is Joseph, who was already a man of great integrity and of rightness, uh, decides, okay, I don't know what the story is. I don't know what's going on here. This girl who I'm supposed to be engaged with is now pregnant. So what's the, what's the story? And so he quietly says in his mind, I'm going to quietly just kind of move away and break off the engagements. But then an angel shows up. The angel shows up and says, marry her. She's pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Remember the story that God is writing. You, this is the part that you get to play in it. But if you think about it, in those days, if Joseph marries this woman, everybody in, this, in the Middle Eastern shame and honor society will know that the child was not born nine or ten months. I mean, they're going to do the math and, and figure that out. They'll know she got pregnant before they got married. Which would mean either Joseph and Mary had sex before marriage or she was unfaithful to him. And the result, as a result, they're going to be shamed. They're going to be socially excluded and rejected. They're going to be second-class citizens forever. And so the message is, if Jesus Christ comes into your life, you are going to have to kiss your stellar reputation goodbye. Amen? And this is just Matthew 1. When we get to Matthew 2, Joseph will see that after Mary had Jesus in this life means not just damage to his social standing, but it brought danger to his life and they had to flee. This predicament is a parable of the story of God's people for centuries. Like them, he faces a difficult decision to maintain the status quo of the old ways, the old orthodoxy, or to follow a new and wonderful dream from God at enormous personal cost. And Joseph, the namesake of a dreamer, clearly follows the dream. And though his life was made vastly more difficult as a result on every hand, He was protected by God. And maybe that's the message for you today. Is the decisions and the choices that you and I have to make to really say, to get it into my bones, I am going to choose to believe that the story of redemption has not overlooked my life and that God can redeem all circumstances despite what the cost might be for you and for me and to know that when I trust in God, what is meant with that faith is God's protection and his providence for you and for me.
And what Joseph and the saints of old knew who remained faithful was that this life is not our only shot at happiness. It's just a prelude. And that waiting on God in his presence will never leave us with any regret of losses that we're needed to make in this life. What are you holding on to today? God's people have always been, we've always been a people. And if you are an apprentice of Jesus today, this is your story. This is not just a story we read and it's really good at Christmas and it's the old kind of old-fashioned way of doing things or an old story that we've heard before. This is our story. If you are a follower of Jesus, bought by the blood of the Lamb, regenerated by the Holy Spirit and sealed for salvation, this is your story. And God's people have always been a people that waits, that see this greater plan of redemption and count the cost, even when pressures of culture sometimes feel bigger. Joseph decided to believe the biblical story over the narrative that he was trapped in the confines of social pressures. How many of us buckle under the pressure of society's standards? How many of us go to work every day and feel like I can't be a city on a hill, a light that is shining in the darkness because if I say anything or do anything, I don't know what's going to happen. It's hard. And I don't mean to make that sound like it isn't hard. It is. And I live in it with you. We want to follow Jesus with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, but haven't yet stepped out of our little meta-narratives, our individualism, or our control. And maybe for us today, that's where it stands, is I need to die to self and deny my individualism, my consumerism, the meta-narratives that are playing around um, the, the, you know, my life all the time, from the commercials to the social interactions I have, and believe in one story to be true, the gospel story. And I really believe, this is something I have come to believe over time, especially as someone with you who swims in the culture of individualism and consumerism, that as I come face to face with this true story of the world, this gospel story, this story of redemption that has unraveled throughout history, as I come face to face and grips with that, that's when I see that consumerism and individualism that this culture is so based upon begins to die more and more every single day. And I believe that the first sign of an unhurried trust, and that's kind of the title today, is that out of loss would come an unhurried trust in the story that God is writing in our lives. So the first sign of an unhurried trust in our lives is what we see in Joseph's life is he doesn't wait on his terms, he waits on God's. Joseph doesn't wait on his terms, he waits on God's. And as soon as you say, God, 
I'll be obedient if, I'll wait on you if, is a clear sign that you have not given up complete control of the outcome of your life to God. Joseph awoke and did what the angel of the Lord commanded. He did it on God's terms at huge cost. And I think if we want Jesus with us, you have to give up the right of self-determination and individualism. Self-denial is an act of rebellion against our late modern culture of self-assertion. But it's what we're called to do. To become an apprentice of Jesus, you're going to have to have the courage to do something our culture thinks is absolutely insane. To deny yourself, to give above and beyond time and resources for the sake of someone else is, a, is to go to war with the culture, amen? You're gonna have to commit to denying yourself. I love what Luke says in his gospel, Luke 9.23, Jesus speaking, whoever wants to be my disciples must, not maybe if, or I hope they do, but must deny themselves. He would later say, then take up their cross and follow me. Count the cost and abandon all things for my sake. I love what Tim Keller writes, and if you know me, you know it's not a Joe sermon without Tim Keller quote, all right? So he says this, we are told repeatedly in our society that one sacred law is to thine own self be true, that we must always work to fulfill our deepest dreams and satisfy our deepest desires. There are enormous problems with this philosophy of life, he says. It starts with the fact that our feelings change over time, and at any given time, they are usually at conflict with one another. In other words, denying yourself is denying your conflicting feelings and practicing an unhurried trust that says God's dreams for my life, God's story in my life uh, is what I know I would actually want if I had his perspective. Unhurried trust gives up full control because your life and imagination is captured by the bigger story of redemption and it's the story that you see life through. Because the story we believe about God will always determine how we wait and the path we take. So what story is this? What story is Joseph trusting in? You know, in week one, he did an amazing job of opening up the genealogy and unwrapping it for us that largely echoes the Genesis story and the start of creation. But then in our scripture today, it moves from creation to the birth narrative of the who will bring the blessing that God promised to Abraham through all of his descendants. And if you're new to church, the big idea, uh, the whole idea for the redemption story is that God made a covenant, a promise to a guy named Abraham that he would multiply his descendants and he would, he would give them the blessing or restore the blessing so that these descendants of his can go and scatter all over the world to be a blessing 
to those around him. And Matthew 1 is a mirror of that Old Testament story. Rather than a mirror of the birth of Adam, what Matthew does is he mirrors another significant birth in the Old Testament, the birth of Isaac. In other words, the birth narrative in our scripture today reflects the story of Abraham and the birth of Isaac that we find in Genesis 12 through 17. Why? Because if people are going to be led into the presence of God, it's going to be through an unnatural birth like it was with Isaac. Sarah was too old. Mary was a virgin. Yet God grants them both a child. Now bear with me for a minute. I'm going to like hugely geek out with you. Is that cool for a sec? All right. I don't see too many heads shaking, so that makes me worried. But that's okay. We're, this is where we're going. This is what I have for you. Um, all right, so I'm going to enormously geek out, but I think this might be helpful. Because uh, I want to show you the story that Joseph is choosing to trust in. All right? I want to show you what this looks like. So the Abraham story is connected, and this is, this is where I geeked out this week, is connected to Matthew's Joseph story. Applause? No? Okay, all right. Maybe after that, I'll, well, you'll get it. All right. So, number one, just as the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision in Genesis 15:1, so the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Okay, I got more. All right. Just as the Lord, number two, tells Abram not to fear in Genesis 15:1, so the angel confronts the dreaming Joseph with saying, do not fear. Okay, I got more. Number three, Abraham complains that he has been childless his whole life in Genesis 15, 2. And a form of this same verb in Matthew 1, 19 to refer to Joseph's thought of rejecting Mary is the same verb that Abraham uses to complain about his childless whole life. I got one amen. All right, we're doing good. Here we go. Uh, Jesus, like Isaac, was born to a barren woman. All right, there we go. Joseph is described as a just man. So is Abraham described as righteous before God. All right, I got a little bit more this time. I love it, I love it. All right, now check this out. The actual wording of the angel's announcement to Joseph lines up, and, and you check out the Greek and, and check my facts, because that's what I did this week, is lines up identical to the wording of the promise, or almost identical to the wording of the promise that God delivers to Abraham in Genesis 17, 9. Amen. All right. Thank you. And there's more. Matthew portrays Joseph, the husband of Mary, as the new Joseph, but he also portrays Jesus as the new Joseph. It's, it's incredible. Both are chosen by their father. Both are rejected by their brothers. Both undergo um, suffering and exile. Both are exalted in the foreign court. 
both turn and forgive their brothers who betray them. Now we're talking about the Old Testament Joseph, by the way, and, and Jesus, and who Jesus is the new Joseph. Um, both save their people. This Jesus is their new hope, their new rescue, and the new ruler whom they must bow. This is the story that Joseph's eyes were open to when the angel said, bro, do not fear. This is the story. You're part of the story. Matthew is showing that this Joseph story, the events of his life, the difficulties, the decisions he needs to make, is, that he's going to face is in the Abrahamic way. It's connected. In other words, Matthew wrote Matthew 1 structurally from creation to Abraham. And this story is the Christian story. And yes, we live by faith. And yes, God hasn't fully restored creation yet. It's clear by the tornadoes this week, but he will. And yes, Christ has come into the world. And yes, there will be costs at following Jesus. And yes, culture will make you believe you need to quietly divorce Mary and hit the, the eject button and move on in your life. But the Advent season is a reminder that God's story is greater than the stories that work around us and that while we wait, he is always working and is found in our waiting. I love what the great missionary and theologian says, Leslie Newbegin. He says, the way that we understand human life depends on the conception that we have of the human story. What is the real story of which my life story is a part? The reason that Joseph, I think, could practice unhurried trust was not because it was easy. I assume it brought challenges. In fact, we know it brought challenges, but because the gospel compels us to wait for the sake of others and the glory of God, Joseph gained an unhurried trust that allowed him to believe that the story of redemption is bigger than his own personal reputation in society. I love what, and I, this is my last quote, I promise, but I love what my um, former professor says, Michael Goheen. He says, the Christian believes that there is one true story, the story told in the Bible, it begins with God's creation and human rebellion and runs through history of, the history of Israel to Jesus and through the church, moving to the coming kingdom of God. And at the very center of this story is a man called Jesus in whom God has revealed to the fullest purpose and meaning for the world. Only in this one narrative can we discover the meaning of human history, and thus the meaning of life and mine. The story that we believe about God will always determine how we wait and the path we take. Joseph isn't just some random person in the nativity scene. He's a part of the greater narrative of redemption. He's a part of the fulfillment of the rescuer that would be to come. Look at verse 20. It says, he is the, the son of David. In other words, Jesus, 
Joseph, I mean, sorry, Joseph has royal blood. And it means that the rescuer is from the house of David. And God promised long ago that a king would come from the line of Judah and from the line of David to reign forevermore. Jesus is the son of Abraham and David because Joseph didn't reject, hit the reject button and move on with his life, but f- counted the cost, faced social rejection, and married this woman, and now the fulfillment has come, and Jesus is both from the line of Abraham and David. Amen? Isaiah 9 reads, For unto us a child is born. To us a son given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from the time forth and forevermore. It all came because of a man who said, I'm going to count the cost. So what does Joseph have to do with Jesus? Joseph adopts Jesus into the house of David. The unhurried trust of Joseph made a way for the story of redemption. Now, could God have done it Outside of him? I believe so, absolutely. But he chosen to use a broken person who could have made a broken decision. But he chose anyways. And our unhurried trust, when we really get there, it creates this platform in our lives for God to, to do his redemptive work in and through us. I remember a couple years ago, I was preaching a sermon Um, And it happened to be a sermon that I could share my story of mental health with. Um, And if you don't know, if you're new, um, I've shared it before, but I, in my early 20s, really struggled with um, severe depression um, and just about suicidal. Um, And I told the story of when I was on my way up to a mountain and I was so mad at God, I was so mad at everything in my life, I hated everything, and I want to just drive myself off a mountain, but I shared about a story uh, that I had um, with God on the way to the mountain that really made me do a U-turn and save my life, and it was just simply this, that God has a bigger plan and a bigger story for you. You just got to hold on, and I shared that in this sermon, and after the lights went down and all the emotions, you know, went down, I came off the stage, and after all all the band was gone, this lady comes up to me in in tears, and I'm like, oh boy, like what's going on? I said, you know, hey, how can I pray for you? How can I help you? And she says, I just wrote my last letter last night to tell my family goodbye because I wanted to take my life. And she said, I heard your sermon today. I don't know why I came to church, but I heard your sermon today, and I'm deciding to live life. Is it easy for me to share that in my early 20s, I wanted to kill myself? No. But for some reason, I thought that maybe God could redeem it. 
And I always get emotional when I think about this story because a woman's life, not because of me, man, I am nothing special. The only wisdom I got is God's wisdom. The only story I got is God's story, and it's the greatest story of all time. But there's a lady who is now living life, and I pray living life to the fullest of what Jesus has for her. Because out of brokenness, God used my life as a platform for his redemptive work. The story that we believe about God will always determine how we wait and the path we take. Church, God today is with us and in the waiting. And we, when we really know that I mean really know, like get it into our bones kind of know, God by his spirit and grace then produces in us an unhurried trust that frees you from control and you experience for the first time the freedom that we're all created to know in full trust in our creator, the kind of freedom that Adam and Eve knew before the fall, that kind of freedom of walking in the cool of the day with God and he has sent his spirit to live inside of you and of me and even when we can't see what he's doing. God is always orchestrating the events of heaven and earth to accomplish his purposes. I don't know why I did struggled the way I struggled in my early 20s, but I do know that God in that moment after that sermon on that day decided by redemptive work and by orchestrating all the different things he did in the history of my life and this lady's life came and God's plan rescued her and restored her and he wants to do the same for you and for me today and when we get face to face with God it's not that he comes and he just redeems us the moment that we say yes to God but God always every day every single day I remember praying behind the scenes before we started I said may it never get old that we thank God for his new mercy every day and every day you wake up you and I are face to face with God we are meant with providence protection and new mercy and grace and his plans will what we can know as we put our feet on the ground and move forward in life is that his story of redemption in history will never be throttled. Amen? So a couple things that I hope is practically what is unhurried trust? So if you're taking notes, this is my hope for you today is that you see that faith and trust in God's bigger story of redemption and the different decisions that we have to make and what we face in this life, whether you're going through a difficulty or not, that we would have faith and trust in God's bigger story of redemption and that it's always working in our life. And number two, faith enough to deny yourself and your reputation. Because counting the cost and doing what Jesus said in Luke to deny yourself and take up your cross is going to take a level of wreckage to your reputation. But this is why Joseph was able to practice unhurried trust. And this is why Joseph, in the story of redemption, was able to see that the choice he made, the unhurried trust and faith that he had, God ushered in the Savior. We're here today. Jesus 
is what this story is all about. Amen? All right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it speaks to us, and it gives us hope and life and life more abundantly. And as we come to this table of grace today, remind us, Father, of your love and your shed blood and your broken body on our behalf. In Jesus' name, amen.